We turn in Holy Scripture this morning to Luke chapter 1, where we begin reading at verse 57. Luke 1, beginning at verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There's none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all them that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. This morning, we consider the song of Zacharias, but particularly a certain portion of that song in verses 77 through 79 to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them 
that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the text we consider this morning being part of that song of Zacharias precedes the birth of Jesus and yet announces that wonder of God's grace with certainty. You remember that the priest Zacharias had been stricken speechless by God as chastisement for his lack of faith in the almighty power of God to fulfill his promise given to Zacharias. That promise God had spoken through the mouth of the angel Gabriel. That promise was that Zacharias and his barren wife Elizabeth would have a son in their old age, a son who would be great in the sight of the Lord and who would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. That promise had now been fulfilled in the birth of the son whom the angel had instructed Zacharias to name John. It was now the eighth day after the child's birth. He had not yet been named formally. That was customarily done on the day of circumcision. There apparently were a large number of family and relatives, friends that were present at this event, and we read that a disagreement arose among all who were present. And uh, with Elizabeth, the mother of the child, those present began to call the baby after the name of his father, Zacharias. But Elizabeth insisted that the baby be named John. And they said unto her, There's none of thy kindred that is called by that name. They were not ready to heed Elizabeth's request. And they made signs to his father, Zacharias, how he would have him called. And that indicates, by the way, that not only was Zacharias stricken dumb, but deaf as well. And then we read, and he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And the contents of that praise is recorded in what is commonly called the Song of Zacharias. The entire song is worthy of study, of course, and and we We'll have to consider it by way of broad overview, but we focus our attention on this part of the song, what we might call the crescendo of the song, that place where the song picks up volume and reaches its climax. The significance of this song is seen not only from its contents, but from what is recorded in verse 67. Zechariah sang this song, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that means we have here the Word of God Himself 
shedding light upon the birth of this child, John not only, but upon the child that was soon to be born, of whom John would be the forerunner appointed by God. And in that light which the Holy Spirit shed upon the birth of this son John, Zechariah sees the realization of the promise which God gave from the beginning. He speaks of the promise which God spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Striking that Zechariah speaks of the mouth of the holy prophets, singular, mouth, singular, prophets, plural, and that tells us that the holy prophets spoke with one mouth throughout all the ages. They spoke the same prophecy. And the reason is, as Zechariah states it, God spoke through the mouth of the holy prophets. That's why the word of the prophets was distinct. And what God spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets was the promise, the promise to his people to redeem them, to save them, to deliver them. The fulfillment of the promise, Zacharias is given to see and to speak in the words of this text. And though he speaks of the unique calling given to his own son John to prepare the way for this Savior sent by God in fulfillment of the promise, the focus is upon the salvation of Israel through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. I call your attention this morning to the day spring from on high. We consider the background of darkness, secondly, the day spring who visits, and finally, the light that he brings. The day spring from on high makes his brilliant appearance against the background of spiritual darkness. Jesus was born at night. You boys and girls remember having learned the verses from Luke 2 that there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And at the very moment that Jesus was born in the night, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And after he had made the announcement of Jesus' birth, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Also, the fact that Jesus was born at night was divinely ordained. It was in keeping with the state and condition of those whom he came to save. There was a deep spiritual darkness throughout Israel, the church. That darkness had been developing for centuries. 
like a thick fog it had settled upon the earth. That's the awful figure presented in the text. You children know what it's like when you are in your bedroom at night and mom and dad, mom or dad, shut out, turn off the lights. If there's any light at all in the room, maybe coming from the windows or around the door, you've learned that in just a few minutes your, your eyes are going to adjust to the darkness so that even with a little bit of light, you're going to be able to see things, certain forms and that sh- things you can see in your room. But what's it like when you're in an unfamiliar place and it's pitch dark? Imagine, for example, that you're led into the dungeon of a castle where there are just a few hallways and a few side rooms you notice on the way there, but it's absolutely dark when you get into that dungeon. I think you realize what a horrible feeling that would be to be in an unknown place, in total darkness, don't have a flashlight or anything, You don't even dare take a step for fear of the unknown. Darkness makes it impossible to see, to walk, to live. And if the figure of darkness be so terrible from from a natural point of view, how much more when that darkness is spiritual darkness, the darkness of death, That's the reality of the picture that's set before us in the Song of Zechariah. It defines that darkness as the spiritual darkness that comes from sin, the darkness of sitting in the land of the shadow of death. It's the darkness seen in the folly of the natural mind, the deceitfulness of sin. It's the darkness of a man telling himself that his actions are right even when they are offensive to God and destructive to the man himself. It's the darkness of the woman living as if God doesn't even exist. As if he doesn't see everything we do and think and say. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened. We read in Isaiah 9, verse 19. And that truth is confirmed in Romans 1, as we've seen recently, where the inspired apostle points out that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's the darkness of sins. 
the darkness of those held in bondage to their sin. How terrible is that darkness? The shadow of death. All must die. How terrible to face that death in darkness. To sit in the darkness of death is, is indicative of hopelessness and despair. All humanity, apart from Jesus Christ, is covered in this terrible darkness. They walk, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 18, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. You know what that darkness is like, don't you? We still carry that in our sinful nature. Say to you, as Paul said to the Ephesian Christians, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Although this element of darkness must occupy the first point of our sermon this morning, it isn't the main point. I don't emphasize this truth of the darkness any more than necessary in order to face reality. The darkness isn't the focus of the text, but it is the necessary background of the text. And although we don't emphasize or develop at length the truth of our darkness, nor do we gloss it over, that's what the world does with their corruption of Christmas. Unbelief ignores the darkness as something too difficult to face. Much easier to look at a baby in a manger than to think about the cross that awaited him. Much more satisfying to look at a manger scene than to think of the casket that awaits us. But ignoring the darkness is also to miss the glory of the Christ. Zacharias did not ignore the darkness. Nor do we. If you do, you can't join in this song of rejoicing. Exactly in the measure that you see the sinfulness of your own sin and guilt, only in the awareness of your darkness and despair, do you also see the brilliance of the light that appeared as the day spring from on high, as you lay hold of him by faith, as did Zacharias. So he prophesied with tremendous joy. For the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. That's the gospel which the inspired Zacharias proclaimed and which I have the privilege of proclaiming this morning. The day spring from on high has come to visit us. That's a beautiful figure. The figure of the sun appearing in its golden luster over the horizon, speaking of a day that presently will be fully bathed in light. 
Zacharias speaks of it as the golden glow of divine mercy. When you look at this day spring, you look into the face of God, of God's mercy. You know to whom this picture points. It is Jesus, whose coming Malachi had prophesied as the last word in the Old Testament. Malachi spoke the word of Jehovah, the faithful God, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Nor is that the only place in the Bible where Jesus is spoken of that way. In the last book of the Bible, the exalted Christ himself identifies himself to John and closes out the book of Revelation this way, verse 16 of Revelation 22, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. These figurative expressions teach the same truth, namely that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And so he says in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Not the darkness of the shadow of death, but the light of life. That day spring from on high has come to visit us. That's how Zechariah celebrates the coming of the Messiah. Day spring from on high is our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who comes to us with healing in his wings. And the light that shines is the light that comes from God himself. Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, is the full shining of the grace and love of God. In him, and him alone, is revealed the brilliance of God's grace. So you have been taught him. When you were little children, most of you anyway, your parents taught you about Jesus. Scott and Carly now have the same calling. With their children, Zacharias' parents taught him the same. Only they didn't know the Savior's name as Jesus, but as the Messiah who would be the king of kings. We lead our children to the same Savior. We who are a little older have heard of him often. Our faithful forefathers found their life in this day spring from on high. They knew their salvation in him. They taught us to sing of him in our youth even from the Psalms of God, which prophesied of this Savior, spoke of this salvation in the midst of our daily struggles and trials. We have our joy in Him, knowing that if we did not praise Him, the very stones would cry out, 
in singing of praise to our God. Jesus, our Lord, has come in the midst, into the midst of our darkness and death. But where is he to be found? Where is this marvelous light of which Zechariah speaks? Don't you see how amazing are these words as Zechariah speaks them? They are words of faith, not of sight. Jesus had not even been born yet. But this man, Zacharias, filled with the Spirit, sings of his salvation in terms of its accomplishment. The day spring from on high hath visited us. Through all the darkness of his day, and that darkness was great, Zacharias saw the light by faith. Though the promise had apparently been made of none effect, although the true church in Israel could hardly be seen for all the outward formalism and the mere hangers-on in whom was no true faith, God had yet a few among whom was Zacharias who could see the light even when all was yet dark. And Zacharias and that remnant of God's election of grace had the sight of faith. Faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that faith of Zacharias laid hold of the word. Zacharias laid hold of the gospel. He heard the preaching not only of the angel Gabriel, but more recently of his own son. And you ask his own son, what do you mean? He's just an infant. Yes, but don't forget that infant spoke already from the very womb of his mother, Elizabeth, as interpreted by the Holy Spirit. Go back to verses 41 through 45 of this chapter, and that's what you find. But Zacharias, who had lived in hope of the fulfillment of the gospel promise, now saw that fulfillment by faith. Have you seen the day spring from on high by faith? He was born in the humble city of David called Bethlehem. But there certainly was no light to be seen with the natural eye. He came from God, but there was nothing in his outward appearance to show him special. You read in the Bible about Moses that he was a beautiful child. You don't read that of Jesus. There may have been, there there have been many who stumbled when they came to see him. They stumbled over the 
smelly barns that surrounded him in Bethlehem, the cattle stall in which he was born. They could see there a nice little baby born in poverty, laid in a manger. They couldn't see the beauty that they would expect with one who would be the day spring from on high not getting what they wanted, they stumbled and fell. Where is the light? All they saw in the cattle stall is a picture of the darkness, of your death in mind. Do you see the light? You have to have the eyes of faith to see it. The day spring from on high hath visited us, visited me. We didn't plan him. He's not of us. Nor could we produce such light from the midst of our darkness. Though he was born in the generations of the human race and became like us in all things except sin, He was nevertheless not of us at all. He's of of God. He came to us in the darkness and shadow of death through the sovereign and tender mercies of Jehovah. The Son of the Highest proved His mercy in His coming. The less than sterile conditions of the cattle stall, the smell of the cattle in the fields surrounding Him, the swaddling clothes, the poverty-stricken mother, are so many proofs that he came in order to shine on me, to shine on us until all the darkness is gone. And I don't have to spend my eternity in hell. You believe it? Such is the day spring from on high that has visited us and who continues to visit us by His gospel and with His Holy Spirit. The light that He brings is the light of salvation. He came to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins. That is the light of the world who is Jesus. Who of us has not known your sin? Who is there among us who has not tortured himself or herself over the guilt and shame of his or her sin? Do you remember those nights of such confusion and hurt that you could not sleep because your conscience condemned you? Maybe you suffer them now. Do you know by experience the words that David sang in Psalm 32 about those days when he was walking in sin? The consciousness of God's fellowship and love having been lost to him? When I kept silence, he wrote, 
My bones waxed old through their roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. You experience those nights of deep sighing, of groaning and tears because of the knowledge of your sin and misery? Have you learned to confess those sins before the face of Him who knows them all? God knows every sin you've ever committed. Have you lived in the awareness of the living God? That's the basic question with which to begin your celebration of Christ's birth. For if those things are unknown to us, there's nothing to celebrate. Death isn't aware of the darkness. Death has no interest in the light. But that darkness you must know before you will ever understand the unspeakable mercy of the Savior. In Proverbs 4, verse 19, you read, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. That's the terrible darkness which Jesus Christ has dispersed for his people by the remission of their sins. So that, as you read Proverbs 4, verse 18, the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. This, then, is the gospel of Christ's coming. The day spring from on high came to take away all your sins, never to return those sins to you. There's remission of sin for all who are hid. When this Jesus is yours, that means that when you appear before the judgment seat of God, and all must appear before that judgment seat of God, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, you shall hear Jesus say to God his Father, I have paid the price for his sins, for her sins. I have paid the ransom. They may not be cast away, but shall be received into heavenly glory. Remission of sins means that when you finally see that glorious face of God in the face of Jesus Christ, His Son, that face will show its love for you and its pleasure in you. That's what the remission of your sins means, beloved. Even in death, upon that entrance into that glory that's now unknown to us, you shall be received with words of welcome. And the beautiful words enter now into the joy of your Lord. And why? Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us. In his mercy, God came so close to us, to you and to me, 
as to take up all our sins, our personal, individual sins, and the corruption that is ours in Adam. He came to bring light into our darkness. Life into our death. Dispelling our hopelessness by purging away our sins. That's the gospel of the Incarnation. That's the light shed upon us from above, whereby the day by the day spring from on high. But that light of salvation that comes in Jesus is also seen in this that he guides our feet into the way of peace. Peace. You know what that is? We don't speak here of the semblance of harmony among peoples and nations. We speak of the peace that causes the heart of Zacharias to rejoice. Peace is that perfect state of harmony between your heart and God's heart. That's peace. When God's heart and your heart beats in unison, you have peace. The way to that peace is the Christ child. The day spring from on high. To be in disharmony with him is the way of death. But when Christ came, he came as the light to guide our feet into the way of peace. Beginning at Bethlehem. So the angels sang to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That is, peace to the men of my good pleasure. Later Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, verse 27. And having accomplished his work, the apostle could rejoice in his Savior's work with the words, For he is our peace. That's Jesus. But that day spring from on high, in whom we have peace, continues to guide us into the way of peace, sanctifying us by His Spirit so that we live in harmony with the God of our salvation. Guides us by His counsel. Afterward, to receive us to glory in that haven of peace where there will be no more dark, Blessed day spring. Blessed God of our salvation. Let's not fail to examine ourselves in this day. Do we know the light brought from this day spring from on high? Do you know the remission of your sins? Have you tasted that way of peace that's only in Christ Jesus? Those things, after all, are the realities of Christianity. 
without those things, church membership and sacraments and all the rest save no one. Let us never rest in some false sense of security, without knowing the tender mercy of our God revealed in Christ Jesus, there is no knowledge of of salvation apart from knowing your sins are forgiven. And there is no knowing that your sins are forgiven except by faith you see this blessed Savior as yours. When you see this blessed Savior as yours, you're also hating and fleeing from the sin that led this Christ child into his way of suffering, culminating in his death on the cross. It was a blessed night when Jesus was born for all his people. For you who believe, may that be your rejoicing today and forever. Amen. Gracious Father, we thank thee for the day spring from on high, whom thou didst send to give unto us remission of our sins and light in the darkness and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Continue, Father, to abide with us with thy blessing. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.